666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare Alley, the spooky little side street podcast in the Nightmare on Film Street feed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are joined today with writer, co-writer, and director Travis Stevens to talk about his fucking Barbara Crampton as a vampire film, Jacob's <laughs> Wife. Cat's and out of the bag. And Larry Fessenden as a, as a stuck-up preacher. Yeah, so Jacob's Wife is a vampire movie, as we've already discussed. It premiered at South by Southwest. We actually talked to Travis Stevens a few days ahead of the world premiere, uh, and at that time... No one, including us, knew that it was a vampire movie. So you're going to hear a lot of surprise from us regarding that. Before the premiere, you know, they released the poster. They released a trailer. It's on the fucking cover of Fangoria Whee! right now. So, like, I think everybody oh, knows. so badass. She, that's the fucking thing about this movie, man. Barbara Crampton is the ultimate badass in Jacob's Wife. It's so cool. She starts out as this, like, quiet little church mouse uh, who's, who's married to Larry Fessenden, the preacher of their local small town church. Church, and you know, one, two, skip a few. Some things happen. She takes a big transformation and just becomes like, like everything she's always wanted to be. Also, a blood, you know, bloodsucker. You know, there's <laughs> also, that. Also, you know, <laughs> it's it's so great. Like, it's honestly, her transformation is so good. It's practically all we end up talking about in this interview. <laughs> uh, just before we get into it, a little plug for this weekend's Fiend Club event. If you want to join us, we are playing One Night Ultimate Werewolf and some other really fun games in the Nightmare on Film Street Spooky Speakeasy. This is a Fiend Club exclusive event, and you can only get in if you're a Fiend Club member. If you want to join us, that's at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub. And it's Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Drop in, stop in, come play a few rounds. Maybe be a werewolf and eat some people. Maybe be a villager and kill a werewolf. You never know. Yeah, we'll probably be there until uh, probably around like 10, 30, 11 p.m. EST. So we've got plenty of time, you know, if it's a little early for you in your time zone. Uh, you know, normally we do watch parties where we'll watch movies. Uh, lately, we've been watching episodes of Cop Rock <laughs> after those movies. Uh, but we, we always like to play a game afterward because they're just they're such a blast. They're a lot of fun. And it's a it's a nice way to just hang out with a bunch of friends and talk about horror movies while playing, you know, like Pictionary or something. It's, it's a blast. But this time in particular, we are doing... It's a full-on game night. It's been over a year now since I've played board games with anybody <laughs> other than Kim. At, you know, you're a great board game partner, Kim. Don't get me He's wrong. He's just still but... bitter because when we played Die Hard the board game, I was Hans Gruber and I murdered him. That doesn't make it doesn't make sense. I don't buy it. But also, we just we, we haven't had the safe. We, we haven't unlocked it. But we haven't had a chance to play the thing game. We need at least three people. I know. <laughs> So that that's that's the real thing that's like hurting my heart. We right really got to train Matilda better. Yeah, she could be. She, she would just eat the dice and run away. Like, I knew it. She was. She was one of the things. Imposter. All along. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but we're 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 spending the entire night playing board games, talking about horror movies. It's gonna be a blast. Come join us and the rest of the fiends uh, at nofspodcast.com slash fiend club. But enough housekeeping from us. Jacob's Wife hits theaters and VOD tomorrow, Friday, 
And we got the convo with Travis Stevens right now that you can listen to. We do talk a little bit about the vampirism. So if you want to get, if you don't want to get spoiled there, maybe save the episode until you've seen the film. But otherwise, we do not get too spoilery other than that. Uh, But without further ado, here's our conversation with Travis Stevens about Jacob's wife. How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? We make plans for things. Life happens. I want to live a bigger life. You know, Anne, I am surprised that you wound up marrying Jacob. Whatever happened to the adventurous Anne? Oh, this is so tempting. I just can't do it to Jacob. teeth coming in what and how good you're home get changed i'd like to go out 40 years i've known this woman every day the same now i don't know who i'm coming home to how much of that could i get you want the blood i feel more alive than i have in years hey mrs fetter you all right mrs fetter As you should. Husbands love your wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. So effed up. That looks heavy. I want to make my own decisions from now on. You ever see something you couldn't explain, Sheriff? (laughs) You don't know how to fight for me because you've never done it. Give me the strength to save her soul. How are you gonna write this one up, deputy? Domestic dispute. Nonviolent. Right we, on. we didn't know it was a vampire movie. It was wonderful watching it. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely important to like keep that secret until people could could like yourselves could see it. But that- I have a feeling it's gonna get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah as soon as the reviews come everybody's gonna yeah. be talking about it well it's gonna be so hard to talk about because it, it comes so early in the film that it'd be like yeah. there's a transformation maybe <laughs> <laughs> around it we've been talking around it for a year so it's nice to actually be like yeah it's a motherfucking vampire movie <laughs> oh man it was so rad because they were you know they're going into like this abandoned mill and we kind of looked at each other like man it'd be real great if this was a fucking vampire movie or and then we, we saw the crates we were both like crates <laughs> This is where he lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of fun putting those Easter eggs in there, building up to it, and then just being like, and now we're all in. Yeah. And uh, like, I mean, you know, something like Cloverfield is like a huge major studio release. It's got to be just as hard to try and keep this secret with an indie movie, too, right? Yeah. I mean, with, with anything, it's, it, you just want to try to protect the audience's experience of the story. And, and I think on this one, because the form, 
of the, the movie mirrors the characters, which is their life is very small and contained and dull and, and drab. And then this event happens and things go crazy. It seemed important to sort of protect what that event was so that people you know, could experience it the way the characters do. You're, you're not lying about being drab because they do look pretty boring. And k- kudos to you, like one, for making Larry Fessenden and Barbara Crampton look boring. I know that must've been impossible. <laughs> But on top of that, you make Barbara Crampton look so fucking oh. cool. Are we are we getting into the official interview? Because I do want to talk about how cool Barbara is. It has that, already started. Okay, in that grocery store. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the primary objective with this movie was to give Barbara a movie where everybody could see what a great performer she is. And, and so that started at the script stage of really just trying to put in moments there that we got to see her in a different way than we normally do. I feel like both, both her and Larry, uh, later in their careers, they sort of come into horror movies and they do one thing. The movie only asks of them one thing. Come in and play that cowbell. Ding, 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 ding. And I was like, all right, we're going to give this movie that they're going to get to like guitar solo the entire movie. And so with Barbara, it was sort of finding iconic moments, basically movie moments that she could really sort of flex. That's awesome. And even just, and not even just as Barbara Crampton, but as a female actress above the age of 30, there are no roles like this. And it's just so refreshing to see a story about a marriage that's 20 years in. Yeah. And this was all, uh, you know, that was in the original screenplay by Mark Steenland and, and Barbara had found it five years ago, won an award at Shriek Fest. And the, the festival director was like, hey, this might be a good movie for you. And Barbara read it and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this could be great. And then she spent, you know, a few years trying to get it made. And when I read it, I was like, this story mirrors your life, both in your relationship. You know, she had been married for 30 years. She had stepped away from her career to focus on raising a kid or kids, sorry, and then got back into acting. But also her professional life where when she sent me the script, she was trying to sort of develop as a producer more. And I was like, oh, there's this nice correlation between what this character goes through and what you're going through in your life. Let's focus the screenplay on that. Let's bring your truth, your experience into this more get rid of some of this other stuff and really focus on it and you know as that conversation was happening and not to sound pretentious but we were looking at movies like a woman under the influence with gina rollins uh and um uh alice doesn't live here anymore with alan bernstein and for me uh, uh an unmarried woman with joe claver and being like there are these great movies about women on the sort of second act of their lives And let's try to bring more of that energy into this wild, crazy 80s horror movie. So, yeah, there aren't a lot of movies that are sort of like, hey, you're of this age and we're going to make a movie about being of that age and looking back. Yeah. And it's such a huge emotional experience. It's crazy that it's, it's almost completely ignored. And it's such a great venue to explore with a horror movie. Nosferatu's in particular. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. It all lined up. <laughs> I was like, this makes a lot of sense. We did that math. And I think the same thing with Larry, you know, he had burst onto the scene with this alt vampire movie habit. And 
that sort of idea of like bringing him back to this movie to play a totally different type of character who witnesses somebody else going through a transformation was, you know, a lot of fun. And I think that was part of the process was sort of like looking at the movies in this particular subgenre and trying to honor them and also do some new stuff with the subgenre. And the fact that they're an older couple and they've been married for so long and they're sort of experiencing this subgenre together is where a lot of the, the comedy from the movie comes from. Oh yeah, and, and once they step into it, like the movie really steps into it with them. Like it almost becomes like a like like a vampire hunt and action movie or um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Nosferatu <laughs> instead of spies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love I love just watching them hang out. Like they look like they're having a blast. Yeah, it's so coupley in the middle when they're like you know cleaning up and doing some of the <laughs> the the tasks together. It's so oddly sweet. <laughs> yeah, there was one of the fun things was trying to turn the house, the kitchen, the dining room into a a, a battlefield for domestic warfare. And, uh, you know, basically saving Private Ryan, but <laughs> in a relationship conflict. And and then once things start, um, once they have to start bonding over the reality of what they're dealing with, we can sort of do some other fun stuff. So like in the writing, I was just thinking of like, what would it be like if my grandfather walked in and saw my grandmother canning peaches, but instead of peaches, <laughs> this other thing. I was like, oh yeah. There's a lot of room for for sort of absurdity here. Yeah, it's a blast. And the like the, the design that you chose for the vampires is pretty great. I gotta give you like a small applaud for sticking with like the original Nosferatu teeth on that one. Yes, the teeth. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I think with all of this, you honor the classics and then you try to put your your twist on it. And I think in the original script, the the that character had been uh, sort of a, a good looking male you know, traditional. Lost uh, Boys style. <laughs> yeah, come in, join me. Let's go live together in my castle, you know? And I was like, oh, that kind of undermines the character a lot because it's saying replace this with something new instead of discovering your own voice. And so changing the gender of the character changed that entire dynamic. Then the conversation would be about, hey, you don't need this guy. You don't need me either. You can, you just need you do what you want to do. And because that was happening, it was like, oh, now it'd be kind of funny to, to still harken back to like the original look that we associate. Uh, so Bonnie Aarons did an incredible job with the character. And I think Marcus Koch and Jesse Seitz really brought the, uh, the makeup design. Yeah, I think it works. Yeah, whose whose choice was it to to give her a hat also? Because we kept going back and forth about how it looked like the, the villain from Poltergeist 2 a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is Avon Reddy, uh, the costume designer, and I, and I was just sending her fashion photos, and like that's a very El Topo sort of look for okay. like Borowski, like very sort of because in again wanting to sort of hide the gender, hide the the design of the character, and sort of make it feel a little more real world at first, that required changing the silhouette, and and a hat was the way to go, and so she just has this very, I mean. The actress Bonnie Aaron was like, "How do you how do you see me playing this in my like you know Eastern European, four hundred years old?" Da, da, da. And I was like, "Oh, I see you playing it like you're uh, a West Palm Beach divorcee who's <laughs> like, like, eyes all day." And 
like you're loving life and living life and that's the energy you're bringing to it and, and so with the um costume design that was sort of the thing of, of like yes we want it to look like classic design for this type of character but also it's got to have flair and fun that's cool like she's the cruella Deville version oh, of yeah. nosferatu <laughs> yes amazing <laughs> an insane amount of blood in this movie too, which is pretty great. I also, I also love that you take any opportunity to shoot it directly at the camera. <laughs> I love it. Everybody working on the movie finds it a pain in the ass. <laughs> because people don't seem to understand when I say a lot, what I mean by a lot is a lot more than most people define a lot by. So we, you know, Marcus always has to design these special cannons to like really just blast the stuff and everybody gets hosed down. But for me, I was like, again, with that sort of like, how do you bring something new to this subgenre? I was just like, I want them to be giddy, like dogs with a garden hose. Like, <laughs> just like, ah, I love this. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I no, there's, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we've certainly seen the, the more surgical, uh, sensual um, vampire bite before. Our movie is much more of a, passionate <laughs> <laughs> i'm also starting to to see uh like we're this is only after two movies don't get me wrong but you know girl on the third floor we've got this marble that running up through uh through the dude's skin and in this one we've got this close-up shot of the vampire bites that is like pure video drone to me and I'm, I'm wondering if like that squidgy sort of like close-up shots on quote-unquote body horror is, is oh, yeah. a travis stevens classic now <laughs> yeah i think uh yeah, I guess it's part of part of my vocabulary because I'm often sexualizing practical effects applications where I'm like, it, it should look like an orifice or it should look, you know, because I think there's this, there's something, it, it makes it more fantastic. You know, if there's the, not Geiger-esque, but, you know, if there's this sort of um, uh, human quality to the actual physical effects. That sounded really weird. <laughs> but like, that's the way my brain works. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vampire bites. But also they kind of look like, you know, wounds that you could finger. <laughs> well, and also too, like vampire bites aren't really explored beyond like the first act of any story. It's like, okay, well, here's a sign of a vampire and then they're forgotten. But the fact that she revisits it is is something fresh and completely new. Yeah, and I mean, not to get too much into it but the you know in that scene this is one of the first scenes where she's starting to feel the transformation and the master is basically saying yeah you feel that like feel yourself feel it and so she physically feels it and it begins a, a bit of um it leads to the next scene where she uh fully embraces her sense of self and her touch and and what it feels like to sort of feel good and for your body to feel good. So there's, there's a logic behind these weird choices that I don't know if the audience will get, but if they listen to this, they'll go, Oh, okay. That, I can see that makes sense to that person. <laughs> well, while we're, while we're on the topic of like, weird choices uh or like weird things the audience may or may not get this is a stretch so i apologize to anybody listening who <laughs> thinks this is weird but is there any correlation between like a woman going through menopause and like no longer experiencing like her monthly period and then becoming a vampire is that something or am i just drawing that connection myself that that will be in 20 years from now we'll reference that as like being our idea <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's your idea, but certainly, I mean, um, not on that level, but I mean, the core concept is this lust for life and rediscovering your lust for life. And, and you know, your blood starts pumping, you get excited. I mean, that it, it sort of goes into um, what, what she's going through as a character and obviously what a vampire movie is doing. So very cool. I, 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 yeah, like the music choices too. Like even just having her redeck, like moving furniture oh, around the house. I was so like, good. I could watch this for like this should have been a mini series. We we should have had at least a whole a episode. whole hour of Barbara just redecorating the house. <laughs> there is when when um, RLJ puts the Blu-ray out. There is a whole bunch of movie that is going to be in the bonus scenes there of Barbara just living life. So there is <laughs> a much longer version of this movie that everybody was like, yeah, nobody needs like a two and a half hour epic. And I was like, I know, but it's all great. So <laughs> but we want movies. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like having directed, uh, having, having directed something that you wrote yourself from, from start to finish and now having sort of adapted a screenplay that was brought to you, um, do you feel like your approach to that material is, is, is different or like how you approach that material differently, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I mean, it. on one hand, it's it's good because you can sort of, you see the sketch or what's there or you see the elements that are there and, and, and it becomes more about um, rearranging them. You know, it's renovating a house rather than like building it from scratch. But I think the, the, the basic process is the same, which is sort of like, what do I want this movie to accomplish? And then sitting there and drinking a lot of coffee and going for a lot of walks with the dog, going, why do I suck at this? Why do I suck at this until a good idea comes? Well, at least I'm glad to hear it's not different for anybody, regardless of where you are, or how much experience you've had. Yeah. yeah, maybe it gets easier at some point, but certainly not. That's not been my my experience. So like, what's, what's, what's your writing process like when you're doing that? Is it literally just staying in a room and, and beating yourself up until you find a good idea? Or do you have like a method where you're, you're tackling it? Well, well now I sort of had this realization that what I get really excited about is, is bringing outside elements into the horror genre. And so rather than just staring at a piece of paper thinking, I need to start from scratch and, and build this out. I've started reading other books, looking at uh, different painters, all these sort of external things and bringing them into the story. How do I incorporate that into a story? And that's made the process less daunting because you can sort of, you're putting little reference points throughout that you can then work the story through. So it's gotten not easier, but, but um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I just, this is how this is how my writing goes where i start i have a point and then it just dies so. no you're you're diversifying your portfolio it's great like you were talking earlier like you went to all these like marriage dramas to to bring a vampire story that is at its core a marriage drama right yeah yeah that's the basic point it's like you have this idea of, of what type of movie you want to make and rather than just sitting there and writing all the scenes from one after the other after the other other i find the outlining and in these external references make it a lot easier for those ideas to come. That was the point. Thank you for summarizing <laughs> and making it sound logical. <laughs> and like in, in terms of like pulling ideas and, and whatnot, like the vampire lore in this is, is also great. I'm going to keep coming back to that. I apologize. But, you know, you've got the rats, you've got the fog. Was that all originally in there? Or is that stuff that you pulled because you thought it was perfect for yeah. it? 
yeah, I mean, I was just like, if we're going to do this, let's do it. And I wanted references to the addiction, the hunger, Daughters of Darkness, Ganja and Hess, Light the Right One In, Near Dark, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Like, I was like, I want it all in here as either Easter eggs or as, you know, more defined elements. I mean, we haven't seen rats in, in a vampire movie in a long time. And I'm like, rats are fucking cool. <laughs> but on these budgets, it's like, so I was like, okay, I start reaching out to Hollywood, you know, animal trainers and they're like $40,000. And I was like, we're not going to have rats in the movie. <laughs> but there was this uh, filmmaker, uh, Jeff Leroy, I think that's his name, who made a movie called Rat Scratch Fever, which had been a sci-fi like a no budget sci-fi movie where he just had a bunch of rats running around like a miniature set that he built and then green screen actors into fighting these rats. And I was like, all right, I gotta ask Jeff Leroy how he did it. And so I reached out to him and he was like, oh yeah, no, I just uh, bought a bunch of rats and then trained them myself over a year. I was like, well, that's not gonna work. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could try like a, a, a pest control maybe they'll have some rats or, or pet store might buy pet rats from other places. And so basically that process led me to uh, Lexi Payne who raises rats for pet stores for food, for snakes and stuff. And she's like, yeah, I think I could get you 40 rats. <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. And so then we just had rats showed up. They didn't do always do what we wanted them to do. <laughs> But we have rats in the movie, which is great for a no-budget vampire movie. So. Yeah, gotta have them. And I'm also not surprised to hear that you're a big fan of The Hunger and Bram Stoker's Dracula. They seem very in line with, with your aesthetic. What's what's your favorite vampire movie, though? Or a few of your favorite? It, it rotates depending on, on the hour. But I think uh, Abel Ferrari's The Addiction, uh, um, The Hunger, obviously, for like just the, the sensuality. Like That was the one that I saw as a teenager and I was like oh this is cool like vampires are fucking cool and like they have sex and I like all of this stuff uh and then the addiction I was like oh you know just it showed a different thing but I think you know let the right one in I really I think just on so many levels that works as a movie both as, as a vampire story as sort of the, the tragic aspect of being a vampire and also it's got so many awesome gags and it's funny as hell. Ganja and Hess, you know, it really kind of influenced this one in, in sort of subtle ways. Uh, and just those alt vampire movies, you know, Martin, just these, these things that are like using that plot point as, as sort of a thematic jumping off point rather than just a, and here's the lore and here's what it's about. And also, I mean, I guess you could just do so many things with it. Because there's other ones where I'm like, this is purely about the style, like Daughters of Darkness or, or um, Vamp, Richard Vanks, Vamp with um, Grace Jones. Like there's other ones that are just so stylish and maybe I don't think the stories are as great, but there's there's basically great shit. <laughs> I know, yeah, I'm, right, I'm writing Vamp down right now. We definitely got to check that out. That sounds rad. Yeah, I mean, it's Grace Jones as this nightclub performer slash vampire queen it's awesome and so robert rustler who plays tom lowe in this movie was the male lead of vamp oh no and way was, yeah so i was sort of i wanted to cast this with the supporting characters who had played vampires in other movies to play 
non-vampires in, in this movie. That's so fun. Uh, yeah. It, it's also just crazy how, like, just talking about how many vampire movies are out there and like how many good ones there are it's it's crazy how timeless the story is and like how it has served so many different purposes and in, in in some of the examples you gave um it's really interesting how humans seem to be attracted in many ways to <laughs> like a blood-sucking creature yeah well i think it's you know other people have said this more eloquently but you can reconfigure that character for whatever time period you're in and it can represent different different things it's malleable you know zombies a little bit you know werewolves probably a little less you know but a vampire can you know because there is that it's not just a threat you know there's the transformation aspect there's the seduction aspect there's the um potential for life to be better than our human life rather than just horror movie monster threat, you know, to the humans. So yeah, I, I will imagine it'll go on and on and on forever. Which seems pretty fitting for like a monster who's eternal, right? Like if, if Dracula ever died, it wouldn't even make sense. So maybe maybe a spoiler question. How do you see the, the scene beyond the ending? Do we, do we stay as- It's a great tableau, by the way. <laughs> it is a wonderful tableau. I think that couple, has a lot more adventures in them. I don't know if they'll, they'll, you know, will the marriage survive through them? I don't know, but I, I can see them getting into more trouble and uh, having ongoing adventures. That's awesome. And I love that even, even as this like fledgling vampire of, of the master, Barbara Crampton's character, she hasn't fully committed to it. So she still has some of her identity throughout. Like she doesn't have the red eyes and stuff and she's still kind of like the internal struggle of part herself and part this, this new thing. And it's so, it's so wonderful just to see the aesthetic as she takes it on in her own way. Like when she changes her hair and, <laughs> and I know I'm going back to like the cool sunglasses and the grocery scene, but like, it's so wonderful. I hope she stays that way forever. I hope that's her future. <laughs> just cool sunglasses and grocery stores. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this, she's like, here, here's this person. I imagined myself to grow up to be. And you know what? I am that person. And she had just denied her you know, felt that she didn't, you know, oh, that, that's not, I took a different path. And I think, you know, at its core, all happiness is based on sort of uh, being truthful to yourself and honoring yourself. And if you're in a romantic relationship, your partner doing the same for themselves and for you. And so, yeah, with, with Anne and Barbara and Larry and Jacob, like, I hope that they keep going fully, fully uh, uh, actualized. I'm not sure what the right word is, but just <laughs> sort of like feeling full of themselves because they deserve it. I, I assume this probably, you probably wrapped on this before COVID hit, right? We suspect it hit our, our set, but uh, I flew back to LA and four days later, LA went into lockdown. But wow. during pre-production, our production designer uh, was hospitalized, had to wow. leave the show. Um, they diagnosed her with something else. Barbara had gotten really sick on her way to there. My partner got really sick during filming. Uh, the medic went to the hospital. So this, while we were in pre-pro and, and shooting, COVID was 
something that was happening overseas. And every time somebody got sick, there would be a joke like, oh, I hope you don't have blah, blah, blah. <laughs> By the time we wrapped and got back here and sort of got out of our, our production haze, everybody realized like, oh no, it's over here. It's scary. And so I feel very fortunate that we were able to sort of get through that process. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's pretty scary, but I mean, at least at least you had uh, post production to deal with during during quarantine rather than sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> I feel terrible because my partner was pacing back and forth in the apartment, and I was just here at the computer editing all day. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I'm not experiencing this lockdown the same way you are. <laughs> I would have been, been locked like, oh, down anyways. <laughs> Yeah, she was just like, I need to see people. And I was like, I need to get back to the edit. <laughs> I guess I'm curious if if once you finish the edit, if you had time to sort of like work on a new story while you've had not a whole lot to do. Yeah, I think one of the benefits for life sort of coming to a standstill is, is both for myself and, and certainly other filmmakers I've spoken to is people have had more time to sort of think and create. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of great uh, movies and, and other art coming out of this period, just because that that cycle of like, make the movie, what are you going to do next for a job, all that stuff just slowed down to the point where you can be more thoughtful about what you're doing. So yeah, I, I'm, we're casting the next one now, I wrote a TV pilot, you know, cool stuff that I never would have had a chance to do if the universe didn't say stop. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we've been like quietly hoping is that everybody's had more development time. So like all the ideas are are like real airtight now. But it's gonna yeah. be really interesting to see like what comes out of this. Horror's always been kind of referential to the society around it and like whether ambiguously or not and like this is such a huge monumental occurrence that is so widely experienced. Like, what do you think horror might look like after this? Well, one aspect of it that I'm really excited about is I think there's going to be some very personal stories told. I know several filmmakers who basically just took a camera and one or two couple friends and went and made movies which could be like a throwback to like the 70s, um, like Cassavetti style uh, movies where they're stripped down, but the characters are interesting and what they're going through is really, really interesting. And I'm excited about that. On the, on the bigger scale, like you said, development execs have been sitting home doing nothing except reading and thinking. You know, those rewrites that have been happening at that studio level on the bigger horror stuff maybe there's going to be some like, like that story when, when um, John Carpenter had to shut down production on the thing and he had three weeks because there was no snow. So we went and he started editing the movie and he realized this doesn't have a main character. And so when they went back into production, they shot a couple of scenes to sort of to set uh, uh, Kurt Russell up as the main character maybe that type of thing has happened with these scripts where because things have slowed down, people have been able to look at the material with a fresh eye and we're going to get stuff that works uh, on that sort of like classic, the thing level. I and, hope. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And in terms of ramping back up, do you think this like the next year, probably the back half of 2021 and into 2022, 
You think that's going to be a like new golden era for indie film? Just oh, because always. there are, well, yeah, right. <laughs> it's that's, always that's, a golden era. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's like, it's, it seems easier for indie projects to get back up and going versus like a large studio where it's like, you need to employ an entire city and keep them all six feet apart. Yeah. It seems, I mean, there's, there's people shooting now. It seems like uh, there's a way to do it safely that everybody's comfortable with and do it in different parts of the world. So it'll probably be the indies first but you know the studios do have the resources that if they want they can they can build those cities and, and keep people apart so i mean i'm excited for it all like just just anything that comes out of this that had more time to get it right is probably going to be better yeah there's one thing we've learned through this it's that one movies are friggin' important because it's what everybody's been doing for the past year is watching movies, but also that movies persevere because it's one of the first industries that, that worked around um, like the guidelines and the restrictions to get started back up safely. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really scary, not, not just health wise, but sort of career wise, everybody was sort of like, cause it's such a gig economy where you go from one movie to the next that, okay, everybody is kind of used to like being down for a month or two or three months, but like a year, like that was really frightening for an entire industry of, of below the line crew and, and, and actors. And suddenly you're, you're not, your healthcare is in jeopardy if you're not working, you know, enough hours. So the fact that people were able to recognize that and come together and find a way to, to, safely sort of get these shows happening again you know I, I think brought a lot of um relief to people like my, my partner is the star of a, a hallmark series of movies and they shoot them in canada and they were one of the first productions to get back up and and start working and sort of seeing how they did it and what sort of testing they were putting in place and, and how they were navigating it was uh really useful to apply it to shows down here it's it's been a blast talking with you, but you know, real quick, we like to ask everybody at the end of our interviews, what's your dream double feature at the drive-in? If you could if you could play any two movies at the at the drive-in, what back would you to play? Back. Um other than the band at the drive-in playing on screen <laughs> at the drive-in, uh, I guess I would go with an 80s double feature pieces. Let's start with pieces. And then I would uh, end it with uh, Savage Steve Holland's Better Off Dead. That's so, a weird double feature, man. <laughs> yeah, but two wild, crazy, like 80s, just like, let's eat some popcorn, maybe sneak some beers in and, and make out while chaos happens on screen. Yeah. I also love that you flipped like the drive-in template where you play the, the, the quote unquote normal movie first and the weird grindhouse horror movie second. Start with yeah, pieces. Yeah, no, I, want, I want to watch pieces and I want to make out during Better Off Shh, Pieces is on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't seen it in the drive-in before. Oh, that's so funny. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to this man. This was a blast. Can't wait for everybody to check out Jacob's wife. Thank you so much, and, uh, and uh, best of luck, and I hope to see you uh, on the road soon. Jacob's Wife is in theaters on demand and digital beginning April 16th. 
Let us know what you thought of the film over in our Discord at nofspodcast.com slash Discord or tweet at us at nofspodcast on Twitter. And don't forget to join us for the Fiend Club game night this weekend, Saturday, April 17th, beginning 8 p.m. EST. It's going to be a blast. Can't wait to play games with you guys. Come chat horror movies with us and, you know, have a cocktail. Play One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Heads up, John's going to be the werewolf. He's always the werewolf. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Usually, yeah, and I'm I'm sometimes an okay bluffer. Actually, this this variant of the game has a vampire in it. We should try playing with the vampire. No shit. Yeah. Oh, we're doing that. One night ultimate vampire wolf. We have to now. It's <laughs> Jacob's wife week. We have we got to do it. <laughs> but until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.